You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 52. Today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash book. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or audiobook player of choice. Welcome to another episode of the Metaverse Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about the business of the games business and how to take your local game store to the next level of success. I'm just going to start off today's episode by saying I'm I'm going to apologize for the quality of the audio. The audio is not as great as it usually is, and that's because we recorded this episode in person live with all three of us, minus Gary. Uh, Gary was not able to come up from Colorado in this case. Uh, I traveled to Toronto, which was it's about an hour away from me, so it's not that big a journey. But uh, John came from Vegas to take a vacation in Canada. So we took the opportunity to uh, record an episode together for the first time in uh, Dueling Grounds basement. So when uh, John was coming through Toronto, we uh, we recorded this show about uh, what is basically product mix within a game store's inventory. And the reason we chose this topic is because I got an email from a guy named Patrick. He's a listener to the show. Hey, Patrick. Hopefully you're listening to this episode. And... I, we wanted to address what his questions were, and essentially they he wanted to know what uh, what categories each product kind of breaks down into. So from his perspective, his experience as a uh, general manager in a restaurant, he called it menu mix. But uh, for our purposes, we are referring to it as product mix. And the categories that he included are stars, plow horses, dogs and puzzles and you can think of this as essentially a matrix so you got one side popularity high and low and then the other side contribution margin high and low and four quadrants of each and each one being filled by a different category so we end up going through uh, you know what makes up the stars and plow horses for john's store and wayne's store and one of the interesting things that you'll notice is that the same product can be in different categories in different stores so what will sell what will be a fantastically high margin high popular product for wayne's store in canada could be completely different could be could be almost irrelevant in vegas the key here is uh the moral of the story here is you need to know what's going to sell for your customers what your customers are interested in are going to determine what products fall into what categories for you and you're you have to do the research and you have to do the legwork yourself to really know but uh, today's episode is going to give you an idea as to what you can possibly expect so i think it's a, it's a good topic and this is the reason why i'm including it i i hope you guys find value and i hope you can also you know look past the quality of the audio into the quality of the content and get something of value out of this episode uh, I want to thank you guys for listening, and also I want to suggest that if you do have questions about what it takes to run a game store or, you know, different different uh, subjects about building a games business that you want us to talk about on the podcast, we're always open to suggestions. You can reach out to me at tom at com. You can follow or you can message us on Twitter. 
uh, if you go to maniversaga.com, you can find all of our contact info and links and stuff. Just uh, reach out to us. We're very friendly. We, you know, we won't bite. We're, uh, we're always happy to have conversations. Just reach out and ask, and we would be happy to uh, potentially talk about it on the show, because chances are, if you're curious about it, a lot of people are curious about it. So uh, with that said, let's uh, dive into this episode about Product Mix live and in person in Dueling Grounds, Toronto. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Members Podcast, the live edition. I have my two excellent hosts right now. Yeah, John Cavillo from all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, in Canada. Yeah, and Wayne Middleset, owner of Dueling Grounds, where we are doing the podcast in our game room down in the basement. Super cool store, you guys should check it out if you live here. Definitely. Thanks. Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, for sure. And this is a this is a pretty unique episode. I've done one live and in person before. This is the first chance. It's great to have you guys. Yeah, in person. See each other, talk to each other's faces instead of looking at the screen. Yeah, it's nice. Well, today's episode, we're, we're just going to go over an email that we got from a listener in the, in the past. Great uh, email. Yeah, it was a very good one. I, I've been in contact with, uh, with Patrick a few times. He's commented on several episodes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Somebody's actually listening. That's, that's at least one person. One person is listening. He was a restaurant owner, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he says he was, well, he was a GM at Chipotle. So I'm just oh, going to read okay. the email and then we'll just kind of go over what he said. Okay. Yeah. You know, go have some back and forth between you. And then also at some point, I want to try to play your Bitcoin ATM. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just uh, rip through it and I'll try not to butcher it too much. So, Tom, I think a business plan is important, but having positive cash flow is the key to any success. And this was uh, shortly after episode 45. So you were talking about the net. Right, business plan. This is in response to that. So, okay, I think talking about this is fun. Okay, this doesn't matter. So there's a bit of a typo here. Okay. <laughs> in in restaurants, live. we call this menu mix. Here are the terms. Stars. They are extremely popular and have a high contribution margin. High, high. Flat horses. High in popularity, but low in contribution margin. High, low. Dogs are low in popularity and low in contribution. Low, low. And puzzles are generally low in popularity, but high in contribution, so low, high. So, his question was basically, so in a game store, what are the stars? Magic singles? Plows? Warhammer figures? Dogs. Got to have board games that can be bought on Amazon? Question mark? Cheaper than you can sell in a store? And then puzzles, he suggested maybe next to the dice as the surprisingly uh, high contribution and low popularity. But uh, he had a few interesting comments. I think any new game store business plan has to take into account that people will buy products from Amazon after seeing them in your store. Best Buy faces that challenge every day. The store has to be more focused on people environments than product selling. ESPN realized that future lives in live broadcast and events because you cannot get that anywhere else. I also think that there are good profit margins on Magic Seed product. Which is a point where definitely contradicts a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. Kevin over at Ethereum CCG, another past guest of the podcast, has posted videos on listed listing his MTG buy box or buy cost, and folks are making a dollar seventy five per single pack, bought at two seventeen and reselling at three ninety nine. He also said he makes a dollar eighty seven on a booty box that he sells online. But we'll, we'll get to that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> he has made his crate service the plow of the business, and this is his MTG crates. Sign up for a monthly subscription, yeah, like yeah. But he does enough of those crates to cover operating costs for everything else, which is interesting. I would love to for a, I'd love to do a business analysis of the game store to see what items lie in what categories. 
because I do not really think anyone's look at their data and analytics enough because they're just trying to get by and using their own judgment by selecting the default answers that they should be doing. Patrick goes on to say, I spent five years working for Chipotle as a GM, and when they first started, I, I learned that marketing can be very simple, or as simple as handing out free, cool-looking t-shirts to your guests and making them your fanatics. Let them walk around and promote your business. We gave the cards to hand to the folks when people asked about the treats, and the cards gave them just hand at the store. But they had to come to the store to find out if they got something for free. We always gave away a free soda that cost us only 50 cents, but we got the food traffic into the store. But the guests started to say, that is my Chipotle. There's an ownership of our brand, and they have theirs, and we've rewarded them. That's interesting because of the chain, right? That's mine, right? That specific one is mine, even though it is a franchise. Yeah. All the fun stuff. This is a. I saw that Wayne at Little Shop of Magic. Adding food to his shop, and I'm sure he meant John. We're trying to. Or you want to switch? We're trying to make that a little more clear as we introduce and say the names of everybody who's on the show at the moment, but I guess that's still a thing that happens. I'm horrible with names anyway, so don't feel bad, Patrick. Yeah, I'm John at Little Shop of Magic. Adding food to his shop is definitely something you cannot outsource or buy on Amazon. Sure, but he, will he be selling because he has asked? Well, has he asked those four menu matrix questions from above? Does he need a GM on the food side? Or he's actually it sounds like I, I told him to go apply it. So all said and done, I would like to hear more about data analytics from selling stuff, using the web for marketing, which we've covered, and delivering unique content, content and financing. Which could be definitely an interesting topic for the future. But uh, what we wanted to talk about was his uh, categories. Right, the product mix for the yeah. positive cash flow. Yeah. yeah, so, and then we'll hit up the margins and click at a quick margin. So, what are the stars? What are the stars? So, stars are stars high are in popularity, popularity and high in margin. Okay. Well, before we start doing this, too, um, I'd like to say I think these categories are going to be different for different sorts. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So keep that in mind. Um, and a lot of what he's asking is to do this analysis. The big thing is there's not a good FB one size fits all. It doesn't work that way. You can have a, a, a it starts with your your kind of gut feeling, and then you look at your data, your numbers. Sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're horribly wrong. Right. So um, keep in mind this is always a work in progress. You're always going back and finding your numbers and adjusting based on that. So um, anyway, um, the only question I had, we're talking about categories or specific items. What are we? Well, we're gonna. I think we're gonna start with stars. Go with like my category, and then yeah, yeah. So uh, so stars. Those are the high turnover and high margin products. Now, I think we can all agree Magic Singles uh, fits that uh, right across the board. It does, I think. Not for my store, because we're horrible with singles right now. We started with singles. Uh, we're going to revamp singles here once we move to the new location. But yes, I mean, it's one of those that we personally fail out. But yes, you're right. It's very much in the and yes, they can be a high profit margin, provided that you know what you're doing. They're also one of those areas where you need to have an expert, right? Somebody needs to know this. Don't buy this card or don't buy this card for so much because this is going to crash here as soon as this happens, right? So, so it's, a, it's a sensitive area, but I'm going to agree with you. Yes, those are high popularity, high margin. And I, I find that 
carries across, at least for me, um, when people are trading in second market, second-hand market items, uh, they're generally trading them for, for store credit. Uh, cash, they get less, so most people like the value of the credit they can get all the stuff for it. And for us, that's like a, a double whammy. We, we get it. We give them store credit, and then when they buy something with it, we get the profit off whatever they buy with the store credit. Um, so it's it's, it's a that's way lower your cost of goods. Because even though you're paying, let's say, say seven dollars, it's really bottom line is you maybe pay about four dollars on the market. The rest is coming from the market. The other item. Yeah. So um, and continuing with that theme, uh, what's unique at Building Grounds is like you trade in, you use gaming like all sorts. Um, one of our most popular, successful categories is Warhammer. Uh, so people are coming in, they're dumping off their old Warhammer models, trading them in, and to get new, newer stuff, we're just getting out of the hobby altogether. Um, and we get them in at low rates, we're able to sell them uh, at a low cost, which brings people to our store again, uh, because they can get workshop stuff at an affordable price, and they also never know what they're going to find. So it's a great drop to the store, but again, the, uh, the trade-in uh, for that product. Um, we get that that second cut when they use that store credit to buy. So that's another um, high one. And for me, I can disagree with, with the email. Um, dice for me are high turnover and high margin. And I think that's because we are um, sort of the Dungeons and Dragons destination. So we have tons of people coming out, out to our um, our organized programs for DMV. And almost every way that comes in, like new players especially, they just buy their set dice and people who buy dice <laughs> for some reason um, they keep buying dice because they're like okay these ones aren't lucky anymore I need some new dice I'm not rolling good numbers anymore uh, people are super superstitious um, with their dice so yeah it's, it's amazing how many dice we sell and the, the, the margin for them is, is quite good so I'm going to second that and also take the ones that are I think dice are universal if you own a game store, stop heavy on dice. It doesn't matter if you're a DD player, a magic player that needs counters. Um, I, I know people that just buy dice cuts, right? Because they're metal dice, because they're fancy dice, because they're made out of meteorite, fossilized mammoth, it doesn't matter. They're cool. You got guys that come in looking for craps dice, right? They'll swear it off. The cancel casino dice. They're dice. People use them for all kinds of reasons. So definitely that. And, and the margin is good. And it, so they're popular. They're also something that's easy to, in a small amount of space, have a yeah. huge amount of them. Which is different. important too. I don't know if that's, a, I guess that would be a separate topic, but the size of your skew and the turnover rate really, you know, increases your profitability per square foot in the store. Uh, and I would, gosh, I would love to have more space for dice. I'd love my entire glass cabinet full of dice, but unfortunately, I'm really outgrowing my space. I can't do that. So. That's an area of expansion for us with a new store. It's definitely more dice. We've already made this in Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to add one more, and this is not a category. It's within this category. As much as Patrick points out that yes, you can buy a board game cheaper, there are certain board games that are such highly anticipated and have a huge. So understand this: there is the realm of a hundred dollar board game is not uncommon, right? No, no. It is Mansions of Madness. Mansions of Madness. Second edition right? just came. Out. Um, we sold. If uh, anybody's not familiar with Rebellion, raise your hand. Yes, no, Star Wars Rebellion. It, think of it as a, it's a big hundred dollar game. You play either Imperials or Rebels, and it's a, a, a risk on steroids, resource management, combat oriented, big scope game. 
hundred dollar price point. We sold seventy two copies in the first week, week and a half. I don't remember seven days or ten days. At a hundred dollars a piece, no discounts, no nothing, um, full margin. But I can't say that's replicated across the board. No. I mean, there, there are there are definitely some duds in the board games, and board games is one of those like huge space. You need a lot of space to carry a good selection. Be known as a board game store, um, and product knowledge. How devalued is that item? You know, and then uh, Rebellion was interesting because it wasn't devalued at first, and then it kind of dropped once it came out, and then it came back up. So I'm not sure what goes on with that. But so within board games, there are gems that are. Uh, what do they call them? The stars, they're high profit and they're high in demand. Is that because the Star Wars brand? Or? I would say the Star Wars brand. It's like it's dropped off after that. Or something like Catan is a perennial. I would always sell Catan. It's a little different now with the Asmodee North America. They kind of killed some of the profit channels from there. But, anyways, it's a constant, you know, ticket to ride, things like that. Or sort of you're like, Standby, so you can sell and you know, buy it. They have a problem. Yeah, I, 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 that's not a category for my board games. Sure. Uh, my Rebellion game, I ordered just two and I sold and sold them. And as I'm the competitive market I'm in, uh, is, there's so many discounted stores in Toronto. Um, they'll come to me once everybody's sold it. <laughs> well, and, and again, you need a certain. Like, for example, one of the things we don't do very well, and if you're listening, Red, uh, we're listening, but it is the, the, set, the classic Avalon Hill style board games, right? The cardboard chip counter games from the 70s. But you need a certain momentum, a certain mass to be known as, like, this is the place to go get it, right? Uh, that's another category that your diehards will gladly pay for retail, but not a problem because they're harder to find. Uh, but in order to get momentum, what you gotta have a certain amount of basketball. And if you don't have the space or the budget or whatever the case may be, then it's not something you wanna consider because two is probably a good choice. Does that make sense? Like, I have it in case you want it. But yeah, and then there's a backup once you sell it. That's typically what I do when I invest in a and especially a really expensive product bag. I mean, it's a hundred pound in the US, but it's a hundred and something. Up here. It's also a big box, it's this big, so it eats up a ton of shelf space, right? Now, X Wing. That just flies off the shelf. I mean, we have a huge, that's tied into our community too. A right? big, big league that meets once a week, plus tournaments once a week, uh, translates into a lot of turnover. And it's a very, very popular game. So, um, that particular uh, board game, called board games, it's a miniature game. Yeah, um, that, that's definitely a start for us. Yeah. And for us, it is true, even though it's highly devalued in the local market, there's a lot of discounts with it, but the popularity, and, and I'm going to point this out, your customers shop at your store, usually pricing can be a consideration, but it's not the primary consideration. They shop at your store because they love your store, and yes, if there's a deal, they might go somewhere else, for the most part, they're loyal for different reasons, it's pricing, but there's enough interest and demand for the product. Even with the devaluation, and there's some supply chain problems. A star can become a star when William Falcon is hard to find. Yeah, anybody's chasing yeah. it, and when it comes back in, it might drop off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's also a little bit of consideration that we talked about before when we were talking about uh, single versus dice. It's like, yeah, you know, like single's high margin, but it's, you know, you're talking about like uh, 25,000 potential skews, yeah. right? Technically, you're a bit of a per card, right? So managing that is like insane. The inventory is on incredible. Yeah. So it could be super dense, it could be like looking at the you know, display upstairs and that shelf after shelf, and then yeah, every set, every release. Yeah, exactly. So, like, 
you can have a, a, an incredible system, uh, and it still takes up a single amount of space. Oh yeah, I mean we can't even keep so up like, with the pricing. Of the the maintenance, the maintenance of them. Yeah, so I mean most of the time we're always yeah, just checking our. Uh, we yeah. use Star City Converter to uh, Canadian as our base, and uh, so we're constantly checking our prices. If we're really really busy, we sometimes don't get a chance to do that, but uh, we always do it uh, when our customers ask. We can check the price on this always, um, and we, we want to have the, the proper market price at any one time. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a shame because we have all these prices in our binders, but we have to always kind of check them on because it's up and down. I look at it as a source yeah. to the customer, right? The, the part is I'm glad to give it to you at that cost. Mm-hmm. I don't have to ask with that. Right? But the same token, it is skyrocket. Well, sometimes you win, sometimes you win, but in general, it's, it's good to keep it fair. Yeah, yeah but that's uh, just, we were talking about this, it just made me think about he was using these categories from the perspective of a restaurant, yeah. which doesn't face the same space issues, right? Like generally, they've got the big, yeah. they got the kitchen, they've got the fridge, they've freezers, that's, that's their space. Like the rest of their store is all that's experience, right? So, yeah. Uh, the uh, their dishes, uh, like each one will generally take up roughly the same amount of space in whatever their back end is. So, mm-hmm. whereas it's not the same for in one component they fulfill multiple dishes. Right? Yeah. Celery might go in multiple dishes. So, yeah, interesting. It doesn't line up exactly. The but different it's still a good way to look at it. And I'm finding out now that though. Now I gotta worry about spoilage. Yeah, my magic card doesn't go bad. It might drop in value, but it's not gonna go stale. My milk, on the other hand, you know, it's got a shelf life, so. Yeah, that's a whole other, whole other fun thing to consider. So that was scars. Next up, we got plow horses. So it's high, high popularity, low in contribution. So it's the stuff that sells but doesn't contribute yeah, or margins. Yeah, yeah. So for me, that's mostly uh, board games, uh, and uh, that's because I'm not a discounter, um, and uh, I don't know how a high turnover rate. Oh no, this is a high turnover rate. Sorry. Okay, but it's okay. Popularity of board games has decreased so much that we are selling a lot more board games. But it's still there's not. A, I I don't find there's a great margin of board games. Like if you, if you're lucky, you get a thirty percent margin on board games. See, that's it for us. Most board games for us are thirty percent margin. So I think that's an issue. That's why I'm saying to me, it's a good, it's a popular thing. And when you sell a hundred dollar board game. We would give a discount as far as the loyalty programs are really right. You're making forty, but yeah. So I um, think that might be because we're yeah, yeah, the distribution. Yeah, yeah. Is it, to get it up here, you got to go through customs and shipping, and a lot farther up. Um, so maybe that's that's why that is we're up here. Um, and uh, going back to magic, I would say all the sealed products, booster packs, uh, selling boxes. You know, you sell tons of like tons of magic, but you don't make a ton of money off those boosters. Again, especially in such a competitive environment in Toronto, uh, where people are selling so cheap. I mean, if if you sold magic booster packs at their proper uh, suggested retail price. Uh, Canadian dollars, that'd be around six dollars, uh, and I'm selling mine at four and change, so it rounds up nicely to five out of tax, four, four, three plus tax, um, which is still not the cheapest price. And I, I, I still have customers coming in that like, oh, they're that expensive, not three dollars. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, that's that's we can't go lower than that. Cause yeah, I think that's a very. I'm, I'm going to go in general. CLCCGs. Magic is definitely fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All sealed uh, collectible card game, trading card game, whatever you want to call it, suffers from that same evaluation of the market to the point where the customer is unaware they're actually getting a discount, right? They, when they buy a box from me, they don't realize that $115.20, tax included, 
is a discount rate, right? They look at the store that's like $90 or $100 or this much. Um, so it, it's difficult in that sense. It's down the line now where people like, it's become commonplace to do three packs for $10. Our normal price is $4, right? That's MSRP. So there's a sort of, ah, shops are going to build in discount with three packs, right? Um, so while there is a lot of turnover, it's, it's, it doesn't pay the bills. It's a lot of work for, you know, whatever. It's a lot of cash flow. And that, that's what he's talking about, this, this positive cash flow topic. Like, you know, when you put that cash into, uh, a product range, um, how fast it turns over and you get that money back is really, really important. If you, if you stick a lot of money, like there are discounters uh, in Toronto that they, they spend, uh, they, have, they have access to a huge cash flow, so they're able to invest all this money and then turn around, boxes really cheap, little profit, and people will come to the store because they have the cheap spots and they'll make the money on a single Right, especially if they're trying to use it as a draw to get to buy. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's, uh, so that's how it's working for. Yeah, it's just it's just a different how you where, where what your goals are. It's um sort of like the lost leader for Walmart, right? The the, the ten dollar Blu-ray player is there to get you in. Then you're buying the toothpaste, the shampoo, and all the other stuff at the regular grocery store. And that's to be said. Even though you might not make that much money on decent cheap products, still you still need to have it. I don't think you can be a game store and not have boxes of magic or Pokemon, whatever. Right? I mean, somebody comes in and wants to buy it. Find the bullet, you're making five, ten, twenty, whatever it is, dollar on a box. Yeah, you can lose customers if they don't walk in and they want to buy a box of a set. You don't have that box available at point, you know, because you need some for your booster drafts for selling boosters. Uh, you know that extra box, and we really try to have make sure for every set that we have that's currently in print. Uh, once it goes out of print, we are shy away from selling boxes. It's, uh, yeah. You want a box, here's the box, and if they can't get a box from you, they'll go somewhere else and you might lose that customer. And you need boxes anyways. Wait, you run sealed event. Just for pre-releases and stuff, we, we, we don't run it as a regular event. Um, other than uh, monthly at a, at a bar I do uh, for promotion for the store, I'll run a sealed deck at a bar once a month. Um, but yeah, I, I try to stay away from sealed deck events because generally those aren't very, there's a lot of cash investment. Again, uh, not a lot of turnaround and a lot of investment of time to organize that event, to, to run the event, to use up space in your game store. So, um, yeah, I mean, but you know, pre releases are great. And I was mentioning, I was going to mention that's another devaluation that you think about it because for us, every Friday, we run Friday at Magic, we do a standard draft and a commander, right? Okay. So every week, we're not selling those packs every day because we're giving out price, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a booster draft for us is $15. Some people go, if you can find a booster draft, I guess you can. $15 is even bare off of a great even sometimes because they're giving out. And a booster draft? Yeah. Well, we do it for 15 here. Well, I understand, but you know, and uh, yeah, imagine how much less we're getting. So it's literally one of those like, sure, but we give out, you know, even with a smaller term, an average of a box, box and a half prizes, that, that comes out of our wallet, not wizards. So. Yeah. And it's also one of the interesting parts is you're fighting against reception players in a lot of ways. So that's, uh, I remember that booster grass for $15, but Oh, they're going great. Things have changed a lot, but yet the price is not really. Yeah, like magic players, they're sixteen bucks. That's as high as the blue draft. They're going they're on, on charging yes. proper rate. There's no way. Well, the new conspiracy set that's coming out. We're doing a twenty dollars booster draft, but we're putting two packs per player into the uh, prize pool on top of the door prize giveaways. 
Yeah. That, that made me think of uh, another thing to add to this whole conversation was that what do events fall into this? Because like some are great, some are not. Well, there's two ways to do events. You can run a profitable store that's an event store. That is your cash cap. And early, you run well done events, provide a good service, and you can pay for that service. Right. Or we use events as a promotional tool for us. It's we want to lose money on them. We want to make money on it. We want to try to break even, but we understand that events drive your interest in the games and keep people playing. So in the end, those people will eventually buy something in our store, right? And when they do, that's, that that is our revenue, the, the sale of the product. That's not to say that only people that just come for the event, never buy anything in your store, and that's fine. You accept it and move along, right? Uh, but yeah, fundamentally for us, it's it's a keep them interested, keep them coming kind of situation. But I know a lot of stores that run events professionally and well done, and yes, they do charge for that service. It is something that I don't think you should be ashamed to charge for. You paid an employee to be there, you laid the clean the floor, you know, you do all these things so that people have a comfortable, safe, uh, enjoyable environment to play. I would, I would put it firmly into the, the power race because yeah. it's high turnover, really like running lots of events all the time. We are not really making a lot of things. I think it's a matter of how you think your story. It could be a star, or right, that's what you do, or it could be a pop. Sure. Ideally, what you don't want is it to be in the end of the because then you're yeah. wasting a you bunch of time. Dog, yeah. Well, I know people that are like, oh, you know, well, I'm going to do the event at free so I can get people in the door and get my next level of the. But you get people used to that, and then you stop. Where do those people go? They're not coming back. Right? It's the same thing. It's just that cheap events. People start to expect it, and train them to expect a discount on your events, and then. It's hard to go back up once they go down. Yeah, and so great. So those are flowers. Flowers. Yeah, sealed product. And that's uh, what he does mention about the appearance. Uh, the they sell the booster boxes on uh, eBay. For the $1.87 profit. Like $91.87. $91.87. Yeah. Right. It was $1.87 on a box, roughly, but he sold 200 boxes. He stopped doing it, right? Yeah. He looked at it and went, I got other stuff to do this more for it. It makes me want to go first. It's a terrible rate of investment. Can I move on to dogs, or do you have any more plow horses you want to talk about? There are board games that are plow horses, right? I mean, you don't necessarily. The margin's there, but the sell tool is really not. I mean, it happened because, like, you know, they're sort of either classics, like, oh, you have this hard to find weird board game, right? Um, I would say the other platforms would be the miniatures. To be honest with you, uh, for me, they, they're a huge investment of space uh, and inventory. In order to carry a miniature line, you gotta start adding those numbers. That little blister up there, give me seven to ten dollars of your cost. And there's a ton of blisters in three square foot. So it ties up a huge amount of cash flow, and you need to have a huge wall of it to be considered a miniature store. You know? If you just toss two GW blisters on the shelf, nobody's going to come to look for that. You know? um, so, but that being said, you have these spikes. So somebody gets into a worm of fantasy army, and all of a sudden, you just made a $500 sale. Right? So they're, they're flowers, if they're there, they need to be there. Um, but the interest is sort of, it comes and goes. If you remember, uh, we've seen a good spike. Is it going to be like this two years from now? Probably not, right? So you kind of... And for us, I mean, our, our Warhammer is... Um, 
and that's just because we become such a Warhammer destination because the used stuff we trade in um, that also translates into increased sales and sales new stuff. So, and you know, I, I consider the margin to be it's forty five percent for us, anyways, and, and that's that's a decent margin. So that that's, that's a start for us. But then you go to uh, uh, a game like Flames of War, World War Two miniatures game, and uh, that's that's. Uh, I'd say a low high, which we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, and War Machine Wards for us um, is another low high. But it's starting to pick up because of the MK3. And we're re re uh, invigorating our community for that. Dedicated employees. I just thought of something too on that high high. We don't, we don't really use merchandise other than singles. But uh, I, I can definitely see how that could be a definite profit maker in, in popularity, right? Um, we're not quite set up for it, like I said, but we do have, we had a problem that came across several years back, I say six, seven years ago. It's like, you know, you have a gamer with a bunch of stuff in the closet, it was never open, or just bad purchase, or he's going to do this, and then when I got to it, what's really popular for us is we do a flea market. You can come into the store, you get a table, do your own deal, and in exchange, when you sell something, you get store credit for that. I sell the credit, you keep the kid like, between 3%, like things, all like that, to cover the credit card costs and things like that. But it's all returning to the person at the flea market selling stuff. So that's our way of doing stuff, and that's a high high because really we're not. It's popular, it's really popular. Um, so the flea market booze in addition to your store? No, 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 in the store. Right? So what you do is you go, okay, this day is flea market day. And oh, I see. Set them on the table. I got you. Okay, I'm on the And they so come in and do their own way. We take care of all the, the ringing up and stuff for them. At the end of the day, we go spit out a report. Well, congratulations, we got a thousand dollars for credit, and they go buy new stuff. Because uh, like, they're like, I wasn't using. I got out of more hat, or I got out of more machine. So they want more games, right? So um, that's a very, it's, it's very high demand, so high demand that. We need to bring it back. We had to cut it off because events started in October. Now that we have a larger space coming, we're going to do it on Monday. We're going to do a set day. It's always the market. Seller stuff, basically. It reminds me. Yeah, it reminds me of something we've done here. It's more organized by the forty k place here, but they have a. Uh, it's uh, trading, uh, so there's no sales being made at store, but we, we let them use our space as a host location, so like everybody meets up and they just trade Warhammer stuff with each other. And, you know, that could be an example no profit, low profit, but I am popular, right? So you could be having that because it brings people to your door, you're not making money on it, but you're also not spending money, right? So, yeah, it's, it's an investment in the community. Well, put a pin in that one and we'll talk about that first. Sure. Okay, so let's, let's move into dogs. Dogs, yeah. Low popularity, low margin. Low contribution. I'm going to say right away. I'm going to say Dungeons & Dragons. Now, it's interesting, like that's, because that's, you know, we are a D&D location, so we do tennis to sell a fair amount of players' handbooks. But uh, as far as the adventures go, the end guides, the monster manuals, those are those definitely turn around a lot slower, um, and there's not a great margin on them, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, consider yeah, the has one DM. And yeah, exactly. There's a limitation of players. You're right. That's the first one. Exactly, but that that dog leads to the star of the dice. See, these things are all connected like that. Um, so that would be that would be one dog I would say. Um, 
But you know, I mean, it's probably yeah. seen on a huge sludge. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, there, we're definitely a go-to location for the Pathfinder DD miniatures. Um, and uh, that's another entryway into those. Uh, again, that's that would be a high turnover, though. Um, or sorry, a high margin profit margin for the singles. Um, and the turnover rate kind of goes up and down. Um, sometimes they become stars. Sometimes they're low. But uh, and then you have customers that also come in and just drop ridiculous amounts of money on the miniatures because miniatures for a role playing game they're purely an accessory. Um, but there's some people who really like to invest heavily. Oh, so, so, I got into the D&D because I saw it. Yeah, the only reason why I got it is I don't know what this is. But I want whatever going game was. First time you see that unpainted lead miniature and you're like, oh, it looks so pretty. You don't want to mess it up by trying to paint it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting you say D&D because for me it's actually a rising star. Um, okay. Despite the limitations, one DM x amount of players, right? Um, there's also a limitation. It is a highly devalued product. Let's face it. The player's handbook is the number one bestseller in the game category on Amazon, and they literally put it at no margin. Like sometimes it's literally the price I pay for, right? Yeah. Oddly enough, though, I still have. Thank you, customers. We appreciate it very much. Keeps the door open. Hopefully, give you back something to help the community. But. Um, I do have a lot of people to buy it, and to give you an idea, it's been yeah. a rice ball before D and D five point zero. RPG sales were about three to four percent of our annual sales. It was there because you had to have RPGs, and you cannot be paid for. You know, and not have. Well, okay, sorry. If you want to consider yourself, as we consider ourselves a full service agent, right? So yeah. we gotta have that category. I'm pleasantly surprised to say nowadays it's twelve percent. There've been some strong things, fantasy flight games, Star Wars, Minecraft. Pathfinder is starting to suffer from losing blood. There's a lot of titles that keep coming out, but D&D 5.0 has been incredible for us. People are coming back to it, uh, despite the evaluation, despite the, um, you know, we have active groups in the store every Wednesday for, I think, counters, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really big. Um, so for me, I can't put it in that third category. Um, yeah, I just, I could say five years ago, I would have been working 100% agreement. The only reason I can't agree is because I have to. I have a Yeah, I have a And two, you're right. People come in with a miniature, people come in with a paintbrush to paint the miniature, or the dice, or the dice bag. No, it's kind of like Yeah, there's, there's two points I want to talk about um, while you're speaking there. Um, I think you spoke directly to the point in that email that he was saying, uh, you have to take into account people are going to buy products from Amazon. It's like you just right there. It was like people come to my store and they buy you know, at the cost, uh, and that's that's very true in my store too. I mean, we're so specialized, we're so engaged with the customers. Uh, people have a favorite game store. I mean, there's always going to be the people who buy everything online, and they're not our customers. I accepted, I, you know, and I don't begrudge them. I understand that some people budgets. There are some people that are literally. I don't know, they have a lot of money, but for whatever reason, they don't see the value. Yeah, well, that's fine, I understand. For those that do, I, I can't say it enough. I'm sure we're going to all retailers. We appreciate the support you give us. And we pay the tax back by trying to get that. Right? Yeah. I think customers see that effort yeah, too, and they appreciate it. So, yeah. It's not all bad. It's not all like Amazon's going to 
Yeah, you know, you know, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing was you like saying no game store is completely mostly have RPGs. That's really funny because when I started, I was not carrying RPGs at all. I was like, I would care. Like my whole idea was like, I want to buy, I want to invest in games that are hobbies that people like. They, they buy stuff and they keep buying more and more and more. Because I was like, role playing games, you buy your books, you're done. That's it. You got your books, you can play for like 20 years and never buy another thing. And so I was stubborn on that for the first couple of years, and then. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, you know, noticed, like, like, you don't have to carry Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I explained to him my thinking. And then um, I eventually, uh, I thought about it, and then I had more people asking for it. And uh, I think uh, what really really uh, changed my mind was when the DD miniatures started coming out. I'm like, okay, I'm a miniature store, and I like to have companion things. And, and as, as I looked into it more and more, more and more miniature games had companion RPG games. So, you know, War Machine Works uh, has their Iron Kingdoms RPG, you know. Uh, games Workshop has their Dark Heresy and Rogue Trader and all those RPGs. And I love having companion things like miniatures, RPGs, or games that are all from the same genre. You know, like Dungeons and Dragons, they have four games. Sales, but you know, they're $20 or $25 for a life capsule, and you make it. 
Sure, but I, you know, something like that, something so unique and interesting, uh, if you have space in your store, that's kind of a draw. It's like, oh, there's this cool thing I see at the shop, you gotta check it out. You know, that will just, just, it, it gives you a buzz. Uh, great for social media too, like, check this, this product out. Well, that's really cool to share it around, or maybe make a meme out of it. And I think with this, back to that, that doing number analysis, this is an ever-changing shift. If, there are some things, like you're right, magic singles, you're always gonna hit. Even us, when we scale back, right, when we're right now, we're still buying stuff. We're still selling stuff, right? Just not as much as we should. Uh, but, and there are things that are like, hey man, we had a year of good run on Dice X or whatever, and then you go, okay, no more zombie jerseys, okay, we're done. Yeah, I'm yeah. beginning to realize when we're talking about these uh, categories, um, you can't just say board games. Right. You gotta, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta say, well, these particular titles are stars, plow, horses, dogs, whatever. Yes. Um, these particular RPGs or these particular miniatures. That's, that's why I, I'm starting to realize that's what's looking. So, yeah. like in, in Magic Singles, like, yeah, of course, you know, this, this card is going to sell out as soon as you get them. And then there's like cards that are just junk rares that are going to sit in your store for years and never sell. So you can't just say magic, although, you know, it's a general, I guess, generalization, magic singles, yes, but uh, if you break it down, um, there's definitely highs and lows in all the categories. Yeah. Or again, that's something you have to constantly do with sets. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying before, you know, this is something you should probably be checking and measuring every six months, a year, maybe even more often. Yeah, I'm going to interject with the dogs, we don't have a lot in the store, and they are, I'm gonna go back to, in yeah. general, they are individual skews, uh, stock keeping unit. Okay. Um, so individual items, not necessarily entire categories. This entire category is a good trend. They're on the chopping house, they're gonna get rid of them. If it was hot, it was not coming out of business. We had a fairly popular miniature line called All Fine on the Martian Front, HD Wells, 15 millimeter kind of thing. The company went back. Yeah, well, it, it spiked in popularity as people cleaned out what we had, and then it's that right. Um, so I'm gonna go back to Wing for the sales system. For us, it's literally every day we look at the agent. Um, it's actually automated. I'm looking at at least a four times a year turn rate. You do not sell that four times. I might be looking at kidding. So um, it's basically a if that's happening and it gets on this list. I may make a decision to go look. Okay, you don't sell that much cities and nights for Catan, but you have to have it because when somebody comes in and wants Catan, they want to see the whole Right? Uh, and that's probably a bad example, but maybe the more esoteric Catan, uh, Germany, or whatever. Right? So it's important to, to, to realize sometimes you break that in text. If you're like, I don't care. This has those would be the dogs. The important thing is, I think, not to make too many personal decisions. I love this game. Okay. You love this game, but it never sells. No matter how much you put into it, right? So maybe ten thousand dollars invested in this game is a bad idea. Maybe stop one or two because you love it. You always recommend it because you'll sell it. Versus going, I have to have it. Or other decisions like, I will never bring in more hammers. Bad, evil GW, right? Uh, the reality is, I, I have to listen to my customers. Yeah, that's the customers drive results, right? That's what you should be Absolutely. And so, any other dogs? Well, I think you, like, talking about that, you hit on the uh, you know the expansions for games. You just you know to be a completest kind of store. You can, 
I, I love seeing, uh, yeah, someone asked if we have Catan, I'm like, yeah, actually, we have Catan and we have, like, every expansion. I love the, there's yeah. more, yeah. Okay, there's more, yeah. you know which to yeah. get the right you want. What? And, and, so, yeah, and, and games like Descent, which have endless amounts of expansions, you know, if you're going to carry Descent, you're either going to carry just the base game, which, you know, will turn over once in a while, or you're going to carry all the expansions so people know if they play Descent to come to your store. For example, the Wolves of Descent are the individual tenants, right? They yeah. replace, they really, all they do is replace a token in the game with a miniature. You don't need it. You get it. A scenario, I think, or, you know, so it's very minimal value, but to the completists, like, I love the miniatures, so for me, I have them. You know, but it's, it's definitely a dog within that particular game. Yeah, and that's reflecting the completest customer, even the completest range. Yeah, so those are measuring the. Yes, we call these categories, but a category is like another good name for what we should be describing as a product. Mm -hmm. we'll jump on that. Yeah. Like Productors, they're all related and they're all synergistic. We call them families. Descent is a family in our board game category. Because within those families, too, Munchkin, for example, is one of those products that, like, you have Munchkin bobbleheads, you have Munchkin dice, not necessarily for the game. It makes that incredible display of like all things mm -hmm. smart. Mm -hmm. I just I just thought of another I guess star as well, and uh, I don't know if it's the same for you, John. But uh, exclusive distributed items, because uh, in Canada, anyways, like one supplier where you can get a classic flight, uh, one supplier where you can get titles like Dead of Winter, Cardizone, like big games, big board games, and because uh, you know they're they're sometimes really hard to find because the print run will be over, and then. It dries up and then, you know, it's finally available again. You have to fight over the product, like the entire country, but it's one distributor. And those those are definitely stars, those particular board games. Uh, or, yeah, our table's off the other stars. In the US, they're moving away from the distribution, distribution agreements for the most part. But what's happened yet is it's something out of board. What's interesting though is what's happening now we're getting not exclusive distribution agreement, but exclusive cover or content. This particular bonus miniature is only available to For us it's not a problem because we tend to get our supply from multiple sources. So we get three copies of that with this miniature, three copies of that with the other miniature, right? And then customers just have to decide which variant they want. And there's always a look of panic when they're sitting there going, I want them both. I gotta buy two copies, you know? Yeah, no, just thinking about that reminded me of uh, Soul Calibur. I played video games at one point, they had you know, the, the console work, right? Like Nintendo, Xbox, and the PlayStation. You know, Soul Calibur was on each game, on each platform, and depending on which platform you were playing, you got a different character that wasn't available in the other ones. So, like, if you were, if you were buying the, the Nintendo version, you got, like, some Legend Zelda, and then Xbox got, like, Darth Vader, and all, like, other stuff, but you couldn't get all of them. They did that for Magic, remember? There was the promo booster pack that was specific to the platform you bought your game on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, said you wanted to touch on the uh, trading. Uh, yeah, there was one part, a comment that you made with how uh, Warhammer played. It's it's trading and model trading and stuff like that. Yeah. And like the uh, a lot of stories have like a love hate relationship. Yeah. Magic is people who come to singles, yeah, or potentially stuff. Right? Like that's yeah. it's almost a guarantee that something is happening. Someone's gonna be like, oh, I'll give me twenty bucks back. 
Right? A lot of stories, but no go. Can't do it. It's probably gonna happen. They're gonna make the deal, they're gonna go to the pizza shop next door and make it happen, right? But the idea of having the trading in your store, the ability to come and be like, okay, yeah, bring your backpack. You want to be the trader, you the guy who comes in and trades starts. Like, he's still adding value in the sense that he is contributing to the community that they come to your store to do that. Yeah, well, we, the way we deal with that is, the way we deal with that is uh, no trading at the counter. The counter where we do our sales, don't interrupt trades, trades in and sales, and like, oh, you don't need to buy that, I can trade you these. You know, that's that's a big no-no, and it should be a big no-no at any store, uh, but we still do encourage trading. Uh, with anything, you know, and that because that we, we, the community is so important to us, and I think it should be important to any store. Uh, it's like magic; it's a trading, flexible card game. That's the intent of the game, and you should really be supporting that. And it's like, yeah, you're gonna lose some sales, but you're gonna your, your community is gonna, gonna flourish. Now, as far as them making cash deals, you know. People know, you know, you're not supposed to do that in a shop and be kind and kick the note. So, you know, yeah, I've seen customers, you know, just step out, do a little cash deal, and then come back in, and that, that's fair. You're not going to be able to prevent that, so why fight it? Just accept it as part of the business and, uh, and move on. So, there's an interest for us trading. Totally encourage a lot on top. Now, I even go so far as like, oh, look, I'm about to buy this card from you, and this guy's not trading. Okay, that's fine. I'm not I really don't. And it could be because I'm not as best in the city, and I might trade. really don't have a major problem with that. There's an interesting sort of mentality. important thing to go to the grocery store and start selling oranges in the grocery store. You probably pretty much can expect what's going to happen. You're going to get thrown out or get arrested, one or two. And there are some illegalities. The only person that's actually licensed to do business in my store or in that retail space is me. You have to get a business license to operate within that. So there's that. Um, apart from this, it's just an interesting dichotomy. Uh, what do you think about this? It's like, what we've done as a level of you can't agree on a trade, you have, have stuff that he wants, and you have not, he has nothing that you want. I've had people buy a $20 gift subscribe to the store in exchange for the card, right? So the customers have it. Well, I trade this card, we have nothing I want, and I got 20 bucks to play magic. Right? So we just we allow that. It's like, look, if you can't agree, don't exchange that. Yeah. So the store is somewhat in the loop. They feel okay, they're supporting the store. We don't feel like, oh my god, we don't know what these people are doing. But does the person still walk out? Well, it's like, yes, I know what's going on, guys. I'm not, I'm not a right? So, you know, you can't stop. That, that brings up something for me. Um, like, one thing we don't oh, allow, yeah, when they trade stuff into our store, they get store credit. Uh, they don't have to spend it right away. We have a store credit binder. We, we catalog people's store credit uh, under the last name and, and a binder. And uh, um, we, we often have people saying, hey, can I transfer this credit to someone else's name? And we've had to say no because. Um, what that is doing is it's cutting off some of our sales. We let people do that because someone's traded in credit to get something. Uh, then they'll find it somewhere else or get it somewhere else. And then they don't need that store credit anymore and they'll give it to somebody else for something else they want from them. Uh, so, so yeah, that's sort of, uh, sort of what we you. Yeah, I understand the sales haven't actually, but you're yeah. still passing this right now. Yeah, so that we, we, that's where we draw the line. Uh, we're very, very you know, open with how people spend their store credit. You know, people are often surprised. Oh, you let me trade this in and you'll make a special order for me and let me use my store credit for that. Like, money. Yeah, because we don't put limitations on it. Uh, like that. 
The only thing we have is you can't get a discounted item for credit. You have to pay full price. Because if you're yeah. yeah, so selling me a $10 item and giving you $10 in store credit, now you want to buy a $10 item at $5 it's on yeah. sale. That's not how Yeah, if you're trading based on the full markup, you would yeah. have to be able to spend that trade credit on a full markup item. Absolutely. Yeah. They do get their loyalty points on it, though. So, just they're getting a little bit See, we don't, we don't give the, the reward points on store credit purchases. You don't do that. If, they, if you pay, if you pay money, you get you get it. It's for every dollar you spend. It's not for yeah, store credit. Yeah, for us, the only the only thing you don't get is if you got a discount, you don't get it. You don't get it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for using that lingo. You should. So you it's a lot of people. A lot of people get into it. It's like because we have you know, spent fifty XP at one point in time. You level up with this guy, and you know, like you get fifty five dollars instead of fifty. So we can play that. Yeah. Gamification. Yeah. While we're still on this topic, I wanted to plug the Pat's games. It was all the old games. One of the earlier ones. Yeah, I listened to it. They did something similar, but they had. I was going to say, was it that coin one? Yeah, that was such a really cool idea. If you could afford to do it, Yeah, they invested a fairly large amount of money because to mint the coins, it actually. I think they had like seven and fourteen dollar consoles to increase the but they always cost more than they they could spend it. So like they had to put in a lot of cash to make it happen, but it was really cool. And like Pat uh, told me about how you know, like people use them for all kinds of interesting things. Like they were at a uh, it was like a World Series of poker table like, against the dealership. Like yeah. somebody was using them for that kind of uh, interesting things. Yeah. 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 But it's yeah. nice, uh, yeah. nice new yeah. we, we do coins too, but we use them for Dragon Rider program. So for DMs, game masters, they monetize their event. They get coins. So it's like say for example, an event is five dollar event, they get a five dollar coin and trade back. And the DM gets two dollars for credit for running the event. So that's, we wanted to keep it separate from the, the, the credit you get from selling stuff. So we use this coin. And they're really popular. We use Reaper. They cost about two dollars and seventy-five cents a coin to make. They're not really expensive. If you want to get a May, talk to those guys. They're awesome. They just take a little bit of time, especially now that it's convention season. But they're really expensive. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. That sounds pretty cool. So let's get to the last category about puzzles. Not like puzzle puzzles, but just confusing items that puzzler. Apparently low in popularity. Too smart. Yeah. So like what the falls underneath the puzzle? I can immediately say I don't deal puzzles. Not yet. We're thinking about it. But the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, limited edition items that you can only you're allocated a certain amount of product. And the first thing again, I know we talked about magic a lot here, but uh, like the, from the bulk sets, where the uh, suggested retail price is like thirty thirty five dollars or something, uh, but you can often sell them for a hundred or more uh, because of the value in the cards, and um, it's very 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 limited. You know, it doesn't matter how big of a store you are, the maximum in any store you can get. Is thirty bucks. So it's, there's there's scarcity, uh, and uh, you're able to mark it up. But they don't turn around very often because they are a high price point, and it's kind of hard for a lot of customers to get past that. Hey, should it be thirty five dollars? It's like, well, you know. 
when you think about the scarcity, it, the way I, I think of those items is like kind of a, a windfall thank you once a year from the company. Like, okay, hey, you know, we're going to give you something that is worth a lot, but it doesn't cost you a lot. It's a look, you put up with organized play headaches and all this, mm -hmm. here's a reward. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's also the reason why some online only stores not have a store product to so be able to get it. Yes, that's definitely you one of the reasons. Yeah, certain things you can't get unless you have the store product. Yeah. Um, I don't have that mostly because I can I can explain why this is. When you look at it on the head, it's a lot of supply and demand, right? Um, I understand the why. So, Gale um, Force 9 makes these DM streams that are specific to a DM campaign, Temple of Elementaliba. Look, we got it by mistake. We ordered the miniatures and they sent the DM stream by mistake. Here's what happens, since our, our inventory synchronizes online, three copies we have by stake were sold in less than half an hour of hitting them. We're like, okay, so we're the order, we're the Oh my god, these things move. And when Gale Force 9 moves, look, this is a $14 item. I've seen things online at $50 for this and they move it. So, but it's not a surprise because it's supply and demand. There's a lot of people that want it, you know, but it was a puzzle to me because I didn't think about ordering it. I was like, well, and, that's, and that's why it's so scarce. Like people are like, well, why would I carry a specific DM screen for a specific campaign instead of the generic one? Because like people aren't just going to play one campaign. I, but it's kind of a collector item. Once I open one up, there's some sense. It's, it's got the map for the reason. Campaigns take like yeah. specific ones. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's customized yeah. for that. I yeah. kind of get it. But it wasn't something that was on my radar. So yeah, that's the puzzle right there. It's like how does how this become? Oh, yeah. And that's where you. Me, I fail as a merchant because I don't identify those sometimes. And it's sort of the beauty of having an online service channel. It's a wider market. So if a mistake is made, you might identify a thing. It can happen in your store too, by all means, right? Uh, but it's not because I consciously let ACM screen. You should get this. Right. Wait, what is this doing here? And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm an idiot. Star mats are the same way for events like games that's with and I was like they're expensive, they yeah. Many people are gonna buy it, they're hard to ship. Before they they cut online sales, we were selling one a day, forty dollars or one dollar. Because it's such a hot game. I'll take it. I think that's a very interesting point too, is also determining what is gonna sell and what is gonna fall under. A lot of the time your personal opinion, like your judgment of like, oh this is gonna be good. Yeah, it's not. Right. And then, so, yeah, this thing, there's no way. I didn't even think of this in the yeah. video thing. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. It's huge. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, uh, you also have to think about what you're a destination for. So, um, I'll invest more heavily in uh, the Dragons, perhaps, than other stores because I know I'm a destination. Uh, yeah. You can make some judgments based off of what you already sell. You know, like, okay, I'm going to send that. Uh, I have these days people are going to buy it. But certain things. We have a new puzzle coming out. It's a collector's dice game that's coming out for fantasy flight games. So I'm sitting here going collectible, Star Wars. Alright, so two left games. Collectible. Dice, I can't tell. Literally, the graphics figures look like stick on peel dice, and they're not. They're, people are giving me reports that they're real nice, they're chunky, they're big, but is there room for another dice masters? I'm not trying to make them fair comparisons, but that's what my customers are asking me. Like, how much was this one dice man? Oh, another collectible game, right? But they're like Star Wars. So these are very difficult decisions to make, and. 
We're probably going to take a wait and see approach as the interest builds up to that. By then, it's already too late. Yeah, yeah. If it's hot, the wait and see game never really works. You're always playing catch up at that point. You have to make the decision up front, say yes or no, and that's, I've done that for a couple games, I did that for um, World of Warcraft card game, I was like, oh, this is just World of Warcraft branded magic, no thank you. Exactly, and then and that's why it was big, and you know what, that actually turned me off, off of it more, because I'm like, I don't want people buying games to get a digital loot, that's terrible. Um, but you know, it, I missed that big blow up of World of Warcraft card game because I didn't, and that was my own personal decision. Another decision more recently uh, was Dice Masters. It's just like another category of a physical game, and it's just dice, and they're just dice specifically for something, not dice you can use for anything else. And uh, and I just did not bring in Dice Masters at all. For us, it started here, then it went down here, and now it's leveled up a little bit. Okay, yeah, I still don't see a, a big demand. We have once in a while, someone walks in for a Dice Masters game. Um, you know, we don't turn enough people away to, to justify bringing in for us. It is, it is an impulse item and a dollar pack, right? That's definitely one purpose. You have to make decisions which is shelf space, yes. I'm out. What do, I, what do I take out? What does it? And as you see in my store, I'm bursting at the seams, so I need a big store. So, as I said before, you know, the Water is our highest margin, highest selling drink uh, that we offer. I don't know if that's going to change when we open up the cafe. And maybe I'm an evil for selling water in the desert, but it's literally one of those like, I cannot keep enough water. Well, you are in the desert, I kind of understand it, but yeah, bottled water, one of the greatest evils in the world. Don't buy bottled water, carry a water bottle. So yeah, we've invested in a high end reverse osmosis water filter so people can are not afraid of the quality of the water that come in. And as soon as I have the cash for it, it should be after Fan Expo this year. It's a huge, one of the biggest conventions in North America. We always come away on that with a lot of money. Um, and that's probably the point where I'm going to invest in doing rounds, branded water bottles, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually want to. He's not talking about filled water bottles. You're talking about refillable water bottles. Yeah, no, yeah. Plastic water bottles, insane. Stop buying them. Like, and it's once in a while if you're desperate, sure, I get it. And uh, I actually want to. Go up another level and work with the city of Toronto and start a business to business sort of promo with the city, uh, with businesses across the city. I'm hoping this is going to catch on and uh, move across the country. We'll see. But, um, uh, have like some sort of online website where you can uh, have, have places across businesses who don't care if they sell all the water, like myself, who want to offer their taps in their bathrooms, whatever. Hey, we're a location in the city where you can come in with your water bottle and fill up, you know, because we want to promote that, you know, get away from this bottled water tragedy that we're in and move towards, you know, getting people into that. But yeah, bring a water bottle around, like, don't just, you know, invest in the plastic bottles temporarily just because you forgot or you got used to the convenience of getting whatever you need anytime, anywhere on the fly. Yeah. Um, we actually have two, they're not as good as yours, 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 they're not as
they don't go, like people don't go there anymore. Yeah, no. They just buy the water. Insane. Insane. This bottled water is, is less regulated than tap water. No, I get it. I know, I know all the reports. I, I, it's just such a conditional thing. Now, I tend to buy Pacific Sinai. I buy some Pacific Sinai. It's wasteful, etc., etc. At least it's glass. I can recycle it. I feel a little bit better about my Yeah, and I'm sorry we're depressing. We're getting away from the topic. But, uh, I mean, one last thing I'll say is I kind of get it a little more in, in the U.S. because of Flint, Michigan, and obviously a whole bunch of other locations that are have poor uh, infrastructure that's, you know, old lead pipes and stuff. And actually in Canada we have, we have a problem too. I mean, unfortunately, uh, uh, reservations in some of the poorest areas of the country and stuff, uh, we're really letting down our uh, populations uh, by not providing the fresh clean water that they should have. has a right to fresh clean water. Screw you, Nestle. Boycott Nestle. That includes haagen the hardest thing for me to go. Oh, yeah. Just get away from personal license. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was basically we did a thorough examination of Patrick's email, and, and basically, there's anything else that I just want to say no. If we're gonna close this up, I don't see the fine balance, right? Your personal reason why you started your stories is that you believe in service, right? You believe in the value of like community. You enjoy the hobby. Your personal decisions are you have to make that initial. Look, I'm gonna carry this. I don't care what it does. But I'm carrying this because I love it. Now it's nice though when that the numbers support it. If they don't, you can make a decision to go. Okay, this is my personal project, and that's where it's gonna sit at. Um, but if you're paying attention to your numbers and doing what you have to, you'll stay in business. That allows you the money, the time, the luxury of doing your pet process. So it is a fine balance, but that's the beauty of owning your own store. You should make the calls. And openly, people blame Amazon, people blame, you know, the pizza, whatever it may be, that puts you out of business. But it's us. We make those decisions if you keep us or put us out of business. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you think of uh, a game store, uh, or game store owner as the seed that you plant, because you have this idea of what you want to do, but really the way that seed develops and grows into a plant depends on the environment. There's enough rain, sun, everything else. Um, not too many insects. So uh, you got to pay attention to your environment, the customers, aspects, and things, pay attention to the trends, what's going up and down, and adapt. Because, uh, you know, if you're a plant that adapts, you're going to flourish. Gross. And Patrick does mention this in the email, right in the middle. I think it's a good point to close out on. The store has to be more focused on the people than the products. I 100% agree. The products are important, honestly, but the people are way. Oh, and I want to say thank you to Patrick for sending in the question. Great question. Am I looking for a manager? I'm always looking for people. If you go to the website, you can apply there and we'll go from there. If you want to come live in a desert, you're welcome to do it. Fantastic. If you live in the desert, Las Vegas is in I like it. have a worse spot. This episode of the Maniverse Podcast was brought to you by Audible.com. So for you, the listeners of the Metaverse Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And uh, today I wanted to recommend a uh, book that many of you may have read in your youth in, as a youngster, and that book is The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. I have, right now I'm in the process of reading The Hobbit to my son as he falls asleep 
for his uh, afternoon naps. And it's been an interesting journey back in time because the, the last time I read The Hobbit was... The previous time that I read The Hobbit was a few years ago prior to the movies. And then before then, probably a decade. So it's been interesting revisiting something from my childhood and to see the differences between... Uh, the modern-day version of The Hobbit found in Peter Jackson's films and the actual written version created by J.R.R. Tolkien many, many, many years ago. So I would uh, recommend anyone who is interested in high fantasy and, you know, as hobby store owners and gamers, who isn't, really, uh, definitely check out The Hobbit on audible.com. And if you want to download your free audiobook today, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash MVP book. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash MVP book. And you can get your free audiobook version of The Hobbit today. So that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the content and you persevered through the substandard audio quality. I really do appreciate it. And uh, again, I want to just say if you have any questions or if you have any suggestions, any uh, topics that you want us to cover on the podcast, I am available at Tom at Maniversaga.com. Well, that's it. I'm going to sign out for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast, and I will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>